from the Black Dog of Bully Bay to the Dragon of St. Lawrence, Jersey is an island full of mystery and captivating stories. Paul Darrock is a published historian whose two books so far, Jersey, Secrets of the Sea and Jersey, The Hidden Histories, have sold close to 4,000 copies. And he has also broadcast a series of podcasts called The History Islands, which explore Jersey's very past from tragic shipwrecks to its famous sons and daughters. His next project is Jersey's Myths and Legends, and in particular, understanding why they may have been formed and why they have endured for so long. Paul draws me now to share some of his discoveries. Paul, you're hoping to publish uh, a new book about myths and legends in Jersey this year. Do you think the island and particularly small communities are conducive to, to myths and legends? Is there something that they go hand in hand? Absolutely. I think Jersey occupies a unique space geographically and culturally, and it is on the periphery and it has that insular um, history as well. And I think the, the marriage of those two has given us this tapestry of myths and legends which just unfurls as you delve more deeply into the source material. It's quite fantastic. And do the, these myths and legends span the epoch? Do we, do we have them you know, going back thousands of years and, and ones that are relatively recent? They do. And some of the foundational myths and legends really come in that very dark age when the Roman Empire fell. And this um, spirit of mystery really came over the world. Um, it felt like civilization was crumbling and people were fighting for survival. So, so many myths relate to uh, the dangers of the sea, the ocean, invaders, primal fears. And the myths and legends are trying to give some meaning to what must have seemed a very chaotic and frightening world. And presumably that's something that, for instance, the West Country of England, Finisterre, other communities, they have, this, they have not the same myths and legends, but they certainly have myths and legends too. Yes, the stories of drowned lands just span every shore. So you've got Mount Saint-Michel, you've got at St Michael's Mount in Cornwall, and you've got our own stories about the legend of La Planche and the lost manor of La Briquette. It is a perpetual, almost an obsession of our ancestors, this fear of the rising tide and of our, our land being drowned by the waves. So let's, let's dive into that one. That sounds fascinating. So tell me a little bit about that particular myth. Well, a long time ago, so the legend says, there was a bridge which connected Jersey to the Norman shore. La Planche, it was known. And the bishop used to come over this bridge to conduct his visitations to the various parishes of Jersey. And then one day, in a cataclysmic storm, it was destroyed overnight. Legend has it, it was because a priest in a lonely marshland chapel, which is now drowned beneath the waves, was saying mass. And then because a crow landed on the altar, he exploded in a fit of rage and uttered these foul oaths. And immediately the water burst through the windows and flooded the entire valley. And we were cut off from the continent. And, and what, what time does that go back to? Are we talking when Christianity first arrived in the island? Yes, we're talking really about the 8th century, and it was the same storm that apparently severed Mont Saint-Michel from the mainland, created the Chaussée Islands, and even today we all want to believe that within recorded history there was some kind of bridge to the continent. And 
some politicians would like that to see that happen again. Um, another myth that lots of islanders will be familiar with is the black dog of Bully Bay. Is that something that you, you might focus on in your book? It's a great story. And one feature of my book is that I try and give real explanations for why things happen. I'm not interested in ghost stories or supernatural myths. I'm really explaining the cultural context and the historicity behind these myths. And of course, Bully Bay was a hotbed of smuggling. So in my story, we have the poor um, you know, herdsman terrified out of his wits as the smugglers drag their kegs of brandy up the hill, the chains clanking, and he believes this terrifying hound from hell is about to descend. And meanwhile, we just see the smugglers uh, casually uh, you know, hauling up their, their contraband and then actually killing a sheep to give the impression that a savage dog has been on the prowl. And meanwhile, at the end of the story, uh, the local seigneur and constable just sit down and enjoy a nice glass of smuggled brandy. And uh, quite a lot of myths and legends in Jersey woven into either illegal or nefarious activities. Yes, I suppose Jersey has always carved out its place on the periphery of... Uh, the world, in a sense, it was very much on the frontier of clashing kingdoms between England and France, and as such, it benefited from its status on this contested uh, periphery. And some other myths and legends that we might want to dive into around the island. I think I remember hearing of a bull in St Clement. What happened there? Ah, the terrifying bull of St Clement, which roamed along the shoreline, terrifying anyone who witnessed it, and the poor villagers cowered in their hovels in fear, until one day a brave uh, blacksmith actually set out to tame and kill this dreaded beast, and he found there was no bull. It was a complete false alarm. It was instead a stack of rock where this waterfall was pounding down and creating a bellowing sound. And this is really, I think, about a community coming to terms with the threats that it perceived on the shoreline, that, you know, the Saxon invaders and all of the, uh, the fears that raiders would come and lay waste to the community. So they were terrified of unknown forces and of the shoreline, and they had to face it. So it's, the island sounds as though it was quite vulnerable in those times, um, you know, invaders coming over from Normandy, Vikings coming over. It's quite a lot of the myths and legends because people lived in, there was an element of fear. It was an uncontrollable universe in the yes. sense, governed by superstition, governed by apparently unconnected events, which, which meant that the scope of control was so limited. People looked to legends to provide meaning, explanation, and some kind of grounding for their world. So perhaps uh, some other beasts, some other creatures that people might have feared in Jersey through the ages. Maybe you can just, um, you can just describe some others. Absolutely. Well, my favourite is the Dragon of St Lawrence. And it really was the Dragon of St Lawrence, because in the marshland at the bottom of Montfellard and uh, going down towards, towards the coast, and that would have been just untamed marshland, um, you know, the, the dragon was, was lurking amidst the marsh fire and it was burning houses, communities, it was terrifying the entire island. And then they appealed to the seigneur of Hamby in Normandy to come over and slay the dragon, which he did in an epic battle. And unfortunately, his, his squire betrayed him. He plunged the knife into his own master in order to steal the glory and the seigneur de Hamby's wife. And so 
he basically became the new Seigneur de Hamby and inherited these vast Norman estates until one day, in a dream, he admitted his crime. He was put to death and the grieving widow came over to Jersey and, and buried the Seigneur's body at La Hook B, where it said he still lays today somewhere deep in the earth, waiting until the end of the age. They're wonderful stories. Tell me a little about your research. How did you, how did you get to the, the myth? How much did you get to the legend? How, how did you get to the, the truth of the story? Well, so many stories have been embellished and developed over time, and I'll be the first to say I apply my own spin to these and put a little creative license on there myself. But there are many guides along the way. For me, actually, uh, Philip Iyer's book on Jersey Sea Stories was an essential reference point because so many of the legends are intrinsically tied to the sea. And some of the legends, uh, you, you've, you've, you've somehow found a plausible explanation as to, to why they may have arisen. Are there others that, you, that remain a myth and a legend to you? There's no, there's no rational reason why that particular legend may have evolved. I think all of the legends represent some kind of human fear or human weakness which you're trying to paper over the cracks by telling a story. And stories are the way that we communicate not only to each other but down the centuries. And it, it's a way really of communicating this cultural heritage from century to century. Do you think there's been enough work on broadly on, on Jersey history? There are lots of books but do you think there's a lot more to discover about Jersey's past? Absolutely. I mean, I've written two books on Jersey's history. My first one, Jersey, the Hidden Histories. My second one, Jersey, Secrets of the Sea. And I literally have volumes of files of stories yet to be told, yet to be revealed, and yet to be shared. And even stories that are well known, there are always new angles, new ideas. And there were some great people working in Jersey history, Ian Ronane, for example. And I really admire their work. And, you know, we're, we're discovering new stories all the time and where's the where's the primary sources of information the, the archive the societe are all the, there's lots of places really to to discover hidden treasures yes absolutely all of those you've mentioned i particularly love jersey library i think ed jules done a great job in just making that a real community hub and a tremendous resource for all of us uh, returning to some of the some of the, the myths and legends we, we've 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 gone back into the dark ages of, of you know, almost pre-Christianity. Tell me some about the others that evolved through the years, perhaps, you know, coming back, you know, to the, to the modern age even. Absolutely. Well, the legends continue. And I, I mean, one of my favourites, of course, is the true story about the stones, which were on the site of what is now Fort Regent and were removed over to Oxfordshire. One of Jersey's treasures, really our own Stonehenge, was, was taken away. And you know, this happened within historic time, it was recorded, and that's become a sort of legend in itself, the lost stones and whether they'll ever return. Uh, so perhaps people who aren't aware of that, that was, there was before Fort Regent, as we all know, uh, on the hill, before Fort Regent, it was just plain Mont de la Ville. And there was a, a, a dolmen, a Neolithic dolmen on that site. And just, just explain how that disappeared. <laughs> Well, of course, the antiquarians of the time during the construction of the fort took a great interest in this, and it was actually given as a gift by, by Jersey um, to the commander of the, uh, of the British forces at the time. So it ended up in a very pleasant afterlife in the grounds of a secluded Oxfordshire estate. 
and that estate may be owned by James Corden now. Is that right? Apparently so. Apparently so. <laughs> and and much like uh, the Alga Marbles, do you think Jersey? Would you agree with Jersey campaigning for the return of its of its uh, Neolithic stones? I would love to see it back in Jersey, but I wouldn't want to make it a, polit a political issue. No, I understand. It begins uh, brings us on to the subject of our of our dolmens and and uh, that kind of prehistory. Is that something that fascinates you? And you know the the orientation of Hookby. There's a certain mystical element to that, isn't there? I think Hookby is amazing, and I wrote in my first book about Prince's Tower and the incredible story of Philip Diverne and the layers of history and story and legend that accumulates around these places is just magnificent. And tell me a little bit about accessing history to a new generation of people. You know, it, history is something that's fascinating, but equally technology is changing and different ways of accessing um, uh, texts and knowledge is changing as well. You've been doing some podcasts. Tell me a little bit about what motivated you to, to do that. I'm a huge fan of podcasting and through the opportunity that Digital Jersey gave me to go on one of their courses, I realised I can do this. I can communicate my stories via a different medium and podcasting has been great. I enjoy the immediacy of the spoken word. I love telling stories and quite honestly these myths and legends are the ideal vessel really for storytelling and they, they sit well in a podcast medium. And how have they gone? How have they been received? Very well. At the moment, I've got on, on iTunes, The History Islands, which is my podcast channel. We've got 14 episodes out so far. I'm releasing new ones every month with a repertoire as long as my arm of new stories to come. Now, I'm a St. by birth, uh, and I know there's all sorts of myths and legends out there. Could you tell me a little one, a homegrown one for me? Well, for you, Julian, one of my favourite myths of all, the lost manor of Labriquette. Somewhere near Latak, there was this most wonderful manor in rich orchards until, again, a theme we see time and time again, it was swallowed up by the waves. On a fatal evening in 1356, the tides came in and the manor was drowned. And as you know, people have gone looking for that over the centuries, and yet they've never found it. And do you think they will? You never know. You never know. I mean, one of the great things about Jersey, we look around at the coast and we think, oh, it's always been like this. But of course, just a few thousand years old. Our, our beautiful bays and beaches are really new and within historical time. So I believe there have been huge movements of land over the time. And one day we'll find some interesting uh, materials. It, it's wonderful, actually, because uh, in what you, when you're recalling these myths and legends... It is almost a, a, a sign of how Jersey was, not just um, not just in the people, but also geographically, where, for instance, the, the, the planche legend that we talked about at the beginning, of course, hundreds of thousands of years ago, Jersey was linked to France. So you can almost perhaps see the thread of the myth going back into how reality was when the seas were a lot further out, the Jersey in the southeast corner was a lot bigger than it was now. In many ways, it's almost, in every myth, there's a truth. Absolutely, and certainly within historical time, we were joined onto France, and even in medieval times, the St Clement Coast Road was forever being moved further inland, so land was being eroded. Uh, you know, the belief was that the, the Ecrohoes, for example, were far more substantial in early medieval times, 
And you see this folk memory persisting through the generations. You could also see it as an allegory for being cut off from Normandy following the great uh, breach between England and Normandy. And I know you've written about the sea. It's one of your books as well. And tell me a little bit of the focus on that. Is that not just about myths and legends? That's is that looking at some of the, the famous wrecks and some of the famous you know, incidents at sea over the years as well? Well, that tells a story of so many Jersey people who have had their lives shaped by the sea, ranging, of course, to the passengers on the Titanic, uh, such as L- uh, Lady Lucy Duff Gordon and uh, the quartermaster from St. Juan, interestingly enough, who was there on the bridge of the Titanic when they struck the iceberg, and also others such as... Um, you know, for example, we had Lillian Grandid and her trips to China and her explorations into the middle of China. We had um, so many characters throughout history. Sir Walter Raleigh and his, you know, our former governor and his fatal quest for El Dorado. The story of T.B. Davis that I spoke about at the Jersey Festival of Words last year. So many compelling stories. And it goes to show that Jersey's influence has spread far and wide as well in terms of, for instance, the influence of T.B. Davis down in South Africa. It must have been fascinating for yourself uncovering these stories. Uncovering the stories, they just draw you in and you see the global implications. I mean, the amount I've written about Canada, of course, and Newfoundland and the cod trade as well. And you see every corner of the world has been touched in some way by Jersey and its seafarers. No, it's absolutely fascinating. Uh, What other areas of work do you think you'd like to explore? I have a number of projects in the pipeline. I sometimes think of them as planes circling, waiting for a landing slot, because there are just so many. So I have about three or four new um, Jersey history books on their way. And could you give us a taste of what the the high-level idea might be? (laughs) Well, the next one will definitely be Myths and Legends. Yes. I'd also like to write a lot more about Florence Boot, who I've written about already and her life story. Well, we'll move on to her. Tell me a little bit. She was obviously a, a Jersey-born uh, girl who... Um, was it a R- Ray was her surname? I can't, Rowe, was it? Florence Rowe, Florence yes. Florence Rowe, that's right. Yeah. And obviously she married Jessie Boot. Yes, absolutely. I mean, her story is incredible. She was really uh, working in a shop, a bookseller shop, her father's shop here in St Helier. And then one day, whilst she was uh, at church in Jersey, she actually met... Uh, Jesse Boot, who was over on holiday, he was a broken man. His health was wrecked, and his he was thinking of giving up the business. He had a, a regional, modestly promising chain of regional chemist shops. But together, they transformed the business. She was really the driving force, and I think her creative and commercial contribution has been understated. She invented, for example, Boot's Book Lover's Library, which went to lend books to millions and millions of people. She refurbished the stores in a fashionable design and brought, you know, perfume and Elizabethan um, architecture in. She made Boots the success that it became, and her story deserves to be told. And, of course, we enjoy her legacy here in Jersey with the wonderful gardens that she left us at Millbrook, at Glass Church, and all the other things that she left to the island, FB Fields, of course. Which we're still enjoying and still... uh we're still modifying in the sense that the, the plans for future public enjoyment of Millbrook in really way, many ways goes back to the, 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 the generosity of, of the Boot family, Lord and Lady Trent. Yeah, absolutely. Tell me about accessing history for the younger generation. Do you, do you think that um, perhaps the, the, the curriculum within schools may embrace Jersey history a little bit more than they do? 
I would love to see that. I would love to see Jersey history really put as a cornerstone of the way that young people in the island today learn about history. And Jerry A's, absolutely. These two things are amazing. They're part of our heritage and our community, and I, I really you know, want them to succeed. Tell me, lastly, Paul, a little bit about how people can access your podcast. Well, they can go to their favourite podcasting service and they will be available as the History Islands and they are most uh, prominently on uh, Apple Podcasts. And there's 14 down and plenty, plenty, plenty to go, is that right? Plenty in the pipeline, absolutely, Julian. Thanks to Paul Darrock for talking with me today and thank you for listening to the Bailiwick Podcast. You can find the podcast in all the usual pod places and don't forget to like and share. Tune in next week for more.